0: All right, so last Sunday, we learned that Paul's letter to the Philippians was what scholars and historians describe as a letter of friendship. I don't know if you remember us talking a little bit about that. And that's interesting because I believe that one of the things that's lacking for most of us in the Christian life, and I think this is particularly true for those of us living with the comforts and luxuries we are afforded in the 21st century here in the United States, is friendship. Friendship. I think that's something we all struggle with. I think I need to go a little bit further here. What I mean by friendship is something that goes beyond small talk, beyond cheering for the same team or listening to the same type of music. Although I do believe friendship can start there, the sort of friendship I'm referring to, the sort that I believe is lacking in so many of our lives is the friendship that requires vulnerability and risk. It's the sort of friendship that gives of oneself for the sake of the other, the sort of friendship that jumps into the ring with you when life has you backed up against the ropes. The friendship I'm referring to often, and I think this is when it is most effectual, possesses a common purpose or goal. Pete and I have had this conversation many a times. It's the sort of friendship forged on battlefields, and and I've never served in the military, but I've certainly fought battles. Whether it was side by side with my wife, in prayer with my brothers on our elder team, or alongside those closest to me as we shared our burdens with one another. Those are some of the friendships that have significantly shaped who I am as a man and as a follower of Jesus. And what I've learned about friendship ultimately and ultimately love is that it is reciprocal in nature. There is a giving and a receiving that is required of those relationships if they are to flourish. And so as our minds are flooded with everything that is going wrong with the world, whether it's COVID, the horrors of war showing up on our news feeds, or just the everyday difficulties of living in a fallen world, our text this morning reminds us of the hope that we have as Christians, as citizens of heaven, and not just a hope that is off in the distance somewhere, but one that makes itself known to us through a spirit-produced joy that we have access to if we embrace the cross-shaped nature of our faith. One commentator describes it as a joy that transcends present circumstances. And a cross-shaped faith is only possible if we're in community with one another, if we're bearing one another's burdens and caring for one another. We're going to see that unfold in this text. As we work our way through the passage, what you will notice is that Paul is gushing with emotion and love for his brothers and sisters in Philippi. But this emotional outburst should not be written off as sentimental and cheap. Paul's emotions are an outflow of his Theology, a theology that has everything to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so you were given a bulletin when you came in, and we're just going to follow a simple outline that is in there. And we're looking at Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. And so the first point, verses 3 through 5, and just really quick to gain our footing, a couple things we need to remember is that Paul is writing from where? Prison. And he's writing to a community surrounded by a culture obsessed with honor and status and committed to Rome and its expansion. And so let's take a look here, verses 3 through 5. It says this, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So a couple of observations that kind of jump off the page. Paul is expressing his gratitude for the Philippian church. He's letting them know that whenever they come to mind, he's immediately filled with thanksgiving. I'm sure some of us have people in our lives that do this. When when you think of them, you're just flooded with joy and thanksgiving. Or maybe it's a a group of people or a memory, whatever it might be. When it comes to mind, you're, you're thankful, you're grateful, you have joy. Notice the repetition. All, always, every, all. Paul is driving home his point. Another interesting thing that I noticed as I was looking at this passage is that the word for prayer here is is a bit more urgent than other words used for prayer. It has more to do with intercession or praying on behalf of a brother or sister. And then notice how he prays. He prays with joy. And so not only do the Philippians flood Paul with feelings of gratitude, but they are for him a cause of joy. A cause of joy. And so what we all might be asking at this point, why do you love these people so much? Like, What is it about these people? What is it about this church that brings you such joy, that fills you with gratitude? And and the beautiful part is that he answers this question right there in verse 5. There's a little word. It says, because, because of your partnership in the gospel. When, when did this partnership happen? It happened from the moment he set foot in Philippi and, and made that connection with them until the very day that he's writing those words. From the first day until now. And so Paul is grounding his joy, his thanksgiving, his love for this community of faith in the fact that they have partnered with him in the gospel. They're on his team. And that partnership was not a one-time event, but rather it was one that persisted from day one and is ongoing. So what's the point? The relationship between Paul and the church in Philippi is one that has been built upon a foundation of shared ministry, mutual benefit, and as we'll see in a few minutes, a common experience of the grace of God. But first, what does Paul mean by partnership in the gospel? What's he getting at here? What's that that phrase mean? Well, first, this absolutely has something to do with the financial support that the Philippian church gave to Paul. A sacrificial gift, as we learned about in 2 Corinthians 8 just a few weeks ago. A sacrificial gift that was given when they really didn't have the money to do so. Paul knows this. And he's grateful for it. He recognizes the sacrifice that they made for his benefit. So this letter has a lot to do with Paul thanking them for a particular thing that took place. A gift that was given in space and time. But there's more here than just a one-time financial gift. This partnership is ongoing. Remember, it was from the beginning until now. And so from day one, what do we know about this church? Well, Lydia opened her home to Paul and Silas. From day one, they were involved. And this church continued after Paul left, which means that this was an active church, living out their faith, proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And as we'll see in just a few minutes, Paul and the church at Philippi are fellow sufferers, are fellow sufferers. Right? There's something about going through something difficult with others. And there's something about knowing that another group of people have gone through similar things that you're going through. There's there's some some, some sort of fellowship there. There's some sort of partnership there when you know other people are going through the things that you're going through. You resonate with them a little bit differently. But there's more. They are partners in the gospel, that word, that's a key term, which means they're partnering in something that serves as a disruption to the powers that be. As one commentator puts it, the word itself, gospel, represented a pointed challenge to political and religious claims about the emperor, particularly in an imperial colony like Philippi. In other words, to use words like gospel and lord in a Roman colony was to say something that would have been fully understood by anyone in earshot. And both Paul and the church experience the consequences of those claims. See, when Paul says gospel, when he says good news, and he points to the person and work of Jesus, and he says Jesus is Lord, we've said this a couple of times, what he's saying is Caesar is not. When Jesus is Lord, Caesar is not. And, and gospel, gospel is not a word that was invented by the New Testament writers. Gospel is a term that would, that would be used by people within the Roman Empire when, when, when a political leader or a Caesar would win a battle or would come to the place of authority. It was spread throughout the Roman Empire as good news, as gospel, as euangelion. And so what the church did in a brilliant move is they co-opted that term and they said, no, 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 that's actually not good news. What's good news is that Jesus is Lord. And so the minute you say that, especially in a Roman colony, you're putting up your dukes, like you're ready for something. But, but, but we've learned already how Christians fight. They don't, they don't fight like this. They fight by giving themselves over to one another. What's the point? The relationship between Paul and this church is a relationship established and grounded in their mutual heavenly citizenship and common goal to see the good news of Christ, not Caesar, spread throughout the known world. And this is why Paul loves this church so much. Philippi is all in. They are all in. And so so they're encouraged by this. And Paul's encouraged by this, and he's, he's expressing that encouragement and that excitement by way of this letter. But the text goes on, verses 6 through 7. It says this, And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers of grace with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So Paul knows that while they're all in, They could probably use a little bit of encouragement for the road ahead. Similar to a marathon runner needing a drink of water along the way, Paul is offering some much-needed support and refreshment. And so a couple of things that pop out in the text. Paul is expressing confidence. And this term actually will show up a few other times throughout the letter of Philippians. And we'll, we'll look at it as we travel through. But his confidence is in an individual, he, and he began something that Paul is confident he will finish. And, and, and who he's referring to? He's referring to God. He's referring to the Lord. He who began a good work in this community of faith will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And what is really interesting, and we need to take a moment to unpack it, is that verse 6 begins a new thought. But it is a thought that is building upon what was previously stated, what we're seeing develop is the mystery of salvation playing out before our eyes. What do I mean? Paul's outburst of confidence is the result of the Philippians' ongoing partnership in the gospel. Check this out. But... It is also a confidence that rests in the sovereignty of God as he is the one who began a good work in them and who will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So there's this ping pong match going on where where Paul's like like oh my gosh like you guys have been with me from day 1 you guys are are serving alongside of me and and I'm just I'm so thrilled by that I'm so like I'm so confident about who you are about where you stand because as I look at your lives as I look at what you are doing as I experience the gifts that you give to me financially tangible gifts as I experience that I can't do anything else but but say I am so grateful for you but then you know, he hits the, the ping-pong ball across the table. I am confident that he, God, who began this good work in you, will see it to completion until the day of Christ. And so, so salvation is of God. It's of God. But we participate by faith. We participate by bending our knee to King Jesus. And that participation is not simply an intellectual assent to to some ideas about God, but it's an allegiance that we see played out in the life of the Philippian church by their tangible giving of gifts beyond their means to the mission of God. It's amazing what we see just playing out here, that Paul is so overwhelmed with joy because he sees faith in action and he knows it's wrought by the Holy Spirit of God. There's a participation we share together in the life of Christ by loving God and loving neighbor. The text continues. To read verse 7 again. Um, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because, and again, right for me to feel this way about you all. Again, this is about the Philippian church, about the corporate body of Christ. Because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Paul is further explaining the reasons for his confidence that God will carry the Philippians through till the end, while at the same time holding on to them in his heart as he is most likely awaiting trial. Like, think about that. He's, he's, I, I, I'm, it's right for me to feel this way because I hold you in my heart. Like, what does that mean? Like, Paul, what are you talking about? Like, are you just like being gushy? Like, what do you mean by that? I'm reminded... Um, If if you've seen the movie, I'm reminded of William Wallace at the end of Braveheart. He's gripping his deceased deceased wife's handkerchief, right? Symbolizing that he had her with him throughout all that he went through. And as as he dies, he drops the handkerchief. That's similar to what's going on here. Paul's saying, like, like, I'm holding on to this memory of you guys. Like, you guys are with me. And we've experienced this, right? When, when we're going through a difficult time and, and someone reaches out to us and says they're praying for us, what, what does that do for us? That gives us encouragement, right? It lets, it lets us know that, that someone's in this with me. Now, what about if that person comes and sits with you while you're going through that? Well, that person might be a little bit more invested. This is not to discount the phone call. By all means, if that's all you can do, ban phone call. But what about that person that sits with you and stays with you? What about that person that regularly writes you a letter? What about that person that that maybe maybe purchases groceries for you when you're in a tough spot and they just show up on your front steps? That person's with you in the midst of the difficulty. And you and you hold them in your heart. That's what Paul is getting at here. And and what we see playing out in, in Braveheart is that he, he's holding his his deceased wife wife in his heart, but with, through, through something, through a tangible item. And, and we've done that. We've, we have things, things that maybe we remember a, a loved one by, a, a special watch or a ring or, or whatever the case may be that we remember someone by. That's kind of what Paul is getting at here. I hold you in my heart. Notice the bonds of citizenship, the mutual love and affection, the reciprocal nature of this friendship. Paul is showering them with the hope of the resurrection while clinging to them in the midst of his trials and suffering. This is a give and take relationship. This is not a one-sided relationship. Paul has given them the gospel. Paul has planted this church in return. These people are sending him gifts. They are regularly praying for him. There's been visits. We know that there's been visits between these two churches and these two parties. They are partakers of grace. They're in this together. They are fellow prisoners, fellow sufferers. There is solidarity, a camaraderie that Paul is expressing, one that is birthed through the spiritual battles they have fought together and will continue to fight. And so what's the point? The salvation we possess is of God. And that is where our confidence lies. But that confidence will lead us to pick up our crosses together as the people of God and to enter into one another's suffering, which is where those bonds are forged. This takes both time and work. This this takes sticking it out. This takes sticking it out even when things get difficult in relationships and friendships because that's where the bonds are forged. It's in the difficulty. Deanna and I were talking about this last night. We were talking about how how, how marriage is, is such an interesting thing. And, and we have the type of marriage where we're very we're friends, like we're, we're good friends. We like to hang out. Like we have a good time together. And it's interesting because we had some difficult times early on in our marriage, things that we experienced and and we and we saw it through. We saw it through and, and as a result of seeing it through there was a bond that was forged. And the more you see things through with another party, the deeper those bonds are forged. One of my best friends, I've known him for over 10 years now, he knows everything about me and I know everything about him. I call him when I'm struggling. I go to him for counsel when I'm making decisions. He does the same with me. And that friendship, it's interesting, that friendship was birthed around my kitchen table every Tuesday night where we would pray with a group of other guys. We would go to battle with one another, praying for our marriages, our kids, our jobs, and God was there. And that friendship has served both of us. And while it sounds like a two-way street, what Paul is proposing and what I have experienced and what I'm sure some of you have experienced is that a friendship like that consists of three parties, the two of us and the affections of Christ. Jesus. The affections of Christ Jesus. The text continues, verse 8 through 11. It says this, for God is my witness. How I I yearn for you. How does he yearn? With all the affections of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more And more with knowledge and all discernment. Why? So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And so Paul continues his gushing. But again, like I said before, this isn't vain sentimentality, but rather an eruption of what he knows to be true of Christ. God knows how I feel. I want nothing more than to be with you in person. The love I have for you is wrapped up in the deep love that Jesus has for you and I for him. And so this is the sort of communion and friendship that we have access to as the family of God. We actually have access to this. A relationship in which friends are drawn into deeper communion with each other and with God. With each other and with God. But, but Paul doesn't stop there. He continues praying for them. Because not only is, is he grateful for what has been, but he wants to continue encouraging them to move forward. See, this is what friendship does. This is what, what spiritual friendship does. What, what Christian brotherhood and sisterhood does. It doesn't just stop at, that was a good time. It actually pushes us forward, and it's the sort of relationship where we actually invite critique into our lives. And so Paul has an audience with them, and so he's going to push them a little bit now. He's going to challenge them a little bit now because he knows the road ahead. He knows the road ahead. And so he, he encouraged them, he continues praying for them, that, that their love would abound more and more. And, and, and it's interesting, the word here for love is, is that agape word. And we've, we've heard that, right? We've heard that term before. We're all Greek scholars here. We know the word agape. It means love. But it's a particular kind of love. It's that self-giving love. It's not, it's not like, a, like, a, like a shallow love. It's not like I love pizza or I love ice cream. It's the sort of love that gives of itself for the sake of the other so that they might flourish. And he is praying that this love that they already have, that it would continue to grow and that it would get bigger and bigger and that it would permeate their church and permeate their lives. I pray the same thing for us, that that sort of love would abound more and more in this place. And that their love would be accompanied by knowledge and insight. See, this is a call to wisdom. And it's also a call to saturate whatever we might think we know with the love of Christ, lest we become clanging gongs and cymbals. Right? See, Paul warns about this in other passages. He says, he, says, he says, yeah, yeah, you need to know stuff. That's good. That's important. Knowledge is important. You need to be able to do these things. You need to proclaim the gospel. All these things matter. But what matters most to Paul is this sort of love. This sort of love that gives of itself. Why? Why is that so important to Paul? Because that's the love that Christ demonstrated toward us. And if you remember, the central part of this book is found in chapter 2. And what does it say? It says, have this mind in you which is also in Christ Jesus. And what kind of mind is that? It's the mind of Christ that gave up everything so that we might go free. It's the mind that gives up everything so others might go free. It's self-sacrificial love. It's self-sacrificial love. And this abounding love is for the purpose of being able to know what really matters in life, approving what is excellent, so that you might approve what is excellent. What do we mean by excellent? He's, He's talking about the stuff that matters in life. It's not like so that you can determine like what's the most excellent restaurant to go to, what's the most excellent symphony to listen to. No, 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 what matters in life. And what is he talking about throughout this entire passage? He's talking about those bonds of citizenship that bring us together and the bond of citizenship that we have with one another that that actually connects us to Jesus. That's what he's dealing with here. That's the stuff that matters in this life. That's the stuff that matters. That's why later on in the letter, he counts all the things that he, he gained in his life as, as rubbish, as, as something that is the lowest form of matter you can possibly think of. That's what he counts it as. When compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And so he's challenging us. He's he's, he's remembering the glory of their relationship, but he's saying, let's not stop there. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Let's not rest on our laurels, but let's keep pushing forward. Let's keep loving one another with the love and affection of Christ. And that word affections is, is, is the deep bowels. It's like the intestines of love. And that's how, that's how the, the ancient, ancients would refer to the deep-seated emotions. It literally refers to the bowels or the intestines. It's like dig deep for that love. That's the kind of love I'm talking about. That's what he's calling us to. And it's a love that is only possible when we are in union with Christ. We we draw from that well by the Spirit of God, so that we might love one another well. And so, so this abounding love, like I said, it's to it's to know what really matters in life, approving what is excellent, which in the mind of Paul is the good news of King Jesus. That's the stuff that matters, it's the gospel. It's the good news that Jesus reigns on high. That he lived, that he died, that he was risen for our sins. We are forgiven because of that. The new, the world is being made right as a result of that. And one day when he returns, which he talks about here, the day of Christ. One day that 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 re, that, that thing that we've been reading about, that we've been we've been longing for, will come to fruition. Every tear will be wiped away. No longer will we have to worry about wars filling up our newsfeed and suffering because we will be in the presence of Almighty God. But in the meantime, may your love abound more and more and more. Redeemer, let that be true of us. That we don't major in the minors, that we don't get distracted by the so many things that are, are distracting us and trying to pull off us off course. God wants us to remember the things that matter, what is excellent, the things that are important in this life. That is the gospel and the love we have for one another. Remember, what does the gospel do, right? It breaks down the dividing walls of hostility between us and God and between us and one another. It's a beautiful thing that this good news does for us. We need to embrace it. We need to walk in it. We need to wrestle with it. We need to encourage one another with it. We need to call one another out when we see someone going down a different path saying, no, 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 that's not the love of Christ. That's not the gospel. Come back, reminding us of what is important. Paul is convinced that God will see them through while at the same time, he is encouraging them to stay the course and the way they are to stay the course is by continuing down the path of self-giving love and gospel partnership. Self-giving love and gospel partnership. And so this passage, it closes by drawing our gaze toward Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This life that the Philippians are called to live, Is a life that will lead them into the promised land, the day of Christ. It is a life that will leave them pure and blameless. Again, it's a participation. God is the one that cleanses us. But we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That passage is coming up. It is a life that will leave them filled with the fruit of righteousness. And it is a life that is only possible because of the person and work of Jesus Christ, which is why God is given the glory and praise. Again, that ping pong match is coming back at us again. There's all this language about things that that we're doing, that we're participating in, but then he says it, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes, how? How? Through what? Through whom? Jesus Christ. That's why he gets the praise and glory. Yeah, we, we do stuff, right? We're going we're gonna to send money to the Czech Republic to care for Ukrainian refugees. Right? That's beautiful. That's a wonderful thing. And, and God's going to get the glory. But why is God going to get the glory? Because it's the spirit of God working in us that actually gives us a desire to do that. That's why we, we do the things that we do. Because God is at work. Remember, he began a good work that he will bring to completion. We participate in that good work by faith, trust, and allegiance to almighty God. And so as we close, this passage is an encouragement for us. It's an encouragement because the confidence we have is in God. He is the one who will see us through, who will complete what he started in us. It is also a challenge. Paul and the church at Philippi are in this mutually beneficial relationship, one that is steeped in the affections and love of Christ. And they exist for the good of one another, the proclamation of the gospel in both word and deed, and ultimately to the glory and praise of God. And what is so incredible, what we wouldn't expect because of how we've been trained in this world of individualism and self-promotion, a world eerily similar to that of Rome, is that what happens when you give of yourself for the good of your brothers and sisters and the glory and praise of God is that we experience the blessing and joy of being deeply bonded to one another in Christ. It's actually amazing how that works. In, in this upside down kingdom, when you give, you receive. When you sacrifice, you are blessed. And, and and we need to be careful that we don't we don't overrealize that blessing. This doesn't mean that that if I if I you know if I give to the pot, like God's going to increase my wealth tenfold a hundred. That's not that's not what I'm talking about. That's not what I'm talking about. And I know we've seen preachers say things like that. That's not what I'm dealing with here. What I'm saying is that as we give of ourselves, our, our, our affections for Christ grow and deepen. Our walk with God deepens. We become more and more like Christ. That's the goal, folks. That's the goal. That's where, that's where we're taken. I used I use the word with Cheryl this morning. That's our eschatological trajectory, right? I've been wanting to say that. I don't want to say that. Our eschatological, E.T., E.T., our eschatological trajectory. It's where God is taking. Eschatology is is the study of what is to come. And so so our eschatological trajectory is where God is taking us. And you know how he takes us there? Through suffering. First by the suffering of Jesus, and then as we pick up our crosses and follow him. He He says this in Romans. You will, be, you will be glorified, provided you suffer with Christ. It's, it's, part of, it's part of the deal. It's part of what we've signed up for as followers of Jesus. They exist for the good of one another and the proclamation of the gospel. And so, in closing, I, I want to read from, from the Heidelberg Catechism and, and ask this question. Ask this question. What do you understand... By the communion of the saints. What do you understand by the communion of the saints? That's the question posed. A catechism is a, is a question and answer way of, of learning the faith. You ask a question and then an answer is given. And, and, and people are meant to memorize this. It's, it's, a, it's a habit that, that probably should be picked up again. It's a, it's a question and answer way of learning. What do you understand by the communion of the saints? First, that all and everyone who believes, being members of Christ, are in common partakers of him and all of his riches and gifts secondly that everyone must know it is by it is to be his or her duty readily and cheerfully to employ his or her gifts for the advantage and salvation of the saints this is why we exist for the good of others and the glory of Christ when we live this way formed by the cross of Christ, we will do two things. One, we will show the world what God is like. As it says in the scriptures, and as we sang, they will know us by the love we have for one another. And two, we will experience the deep bonds of heavenly citizenship that only come when we abound more and more in love, knowledge, and insight. That's what this whole thing's about. That's what this is all about. Some of you might notice that I preach a similar sermon week in and week out because it's what we need to hear. The love of Christ radically changes who we are. So much so that we radically love one another sacrificially, and then the world catches a glimpse of God so that we can give a reason for the hope that is within us so that others might know Christ. That's what this whole thing's about. That's why we're giving money to Ukraine. That's why we care for for crisis pregnancies through Open Door Pregnancy Center. That's why we spend time with one another, carrying one another's burdens, why we provide meals for one another when we're going through difficult times. It's so the world can catch a glimpse. It's so we can demonstrate the love of Christ and so that others might see something different about this group of people. That's what we're called to. This is the wonder of the gospel. Breaks down barriers. Breaks down barriers between us and God and between one another. This is good news, Redeemer Fellowship. This is a lot better news than Caesar being Lord. It's a lot better news. Let's go to the Lord. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your grace. And we thank you for your love and for your mercy, how you care for us, how you meet with us that the love you have for us is is perfect, Lord God. I pray that we would allow our love to abound more and more, Lord God, that we would be filled with the fruit of righteousness, Lord God, that we would fight the good fight here in Toms River, New Jersey, Lord God, loving one another, loving you, sharing together in the life of Christ. God, we love you so much. We thank you for the cross, for the resurrection. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.